Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intracasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go and give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to and loving the Tome Show for years, weeks, months, whatever it is, go and give us a rating because that one rating will help us out a ton. It will take less than one minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review comes from listener A. Eugene, or maybe it's I. Eugene, A. Y. Eugene. That's who it comes from. A.Y. Eugene says, Funnier than a gibbering mouther doing stand-up. More informative than a goblin on LSD. Wittier banter than an Etten with a mirror. All right, well, thank you very much, A.Y. Eugene, or I. Eugene, or A. Eugene, whoever you are. This was an awesome review. Thank you very much. And if you people out there want to get your review read on air, head on over to iTunes and give us great review. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. My product pick for Noble Knight for this episode is the Ravenloft Campaign Setting Box from 1994. This out-of-print product is available for $50 from Noble Knight and will make your Curse of Strahd campaign even more awesome. This thing is tough to find, so head on over to Noble Knight and snag it before someone else does. Let's hear a quick word from them. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible? Or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. Today, we're talking about the official Curse of Strahd announcement, the latest free adventure from the Dungeons & Dragons Adventurers League, The Occupation of Zithmore Kane, designed by Cindy Moore. And then it's an interview with game designers Gregory Schultz and Stone Love Charm about their RPG Story Cube. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, what's your favorite campaign setting? Rudy Basso, welcome back to the roundtable. What is your favorite campaign setting? So this is, like, I feel kind of weird saying this because I've never actually played in this setting, but Spelljammer 
just kind of speaks to me. I'm a huge fan of like the Age of Sail and and you know medieval naval warfare, not medieval, but naval warfare in that era. And this kind of takes that concept to the next level because then it's in space. So I've always really wanted to play in it because I love the idea of being on a ship and having a role in the ship and boarding another ship and all this other stuff. So I hope someday in my future that uh I finally get to do that, but uh, we'll see. Spelljammer, yeah, that's the one I want to play the most. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, a lot of people love Spelljammer, including Mike Merles and Jeremy Crawford. Uh, they have both said it is among their favorite settings. So you never know. We might see uh, maybe in an Unearthed Arcana article soon some Spelljammer stuff. So I'd love it. Yeah, yeah, that would be very, very cool. Uh, you always got to have a way to travel the planes. Spelljammer is a great way to do that. Allison Rossi, welcome back to the roundtable. What's your favorite campaign setting? So I am going to go with what I've been playing in for ever since I started playing D&D, The Forgotten Realms, um, Faerun. Just, I really like um, the entire setting uh, where everything is based in Toril. That's kind of my home there i'm not too sure about the other settings how much i'd like them dark sun is pretty cool as well um if we want to get a little bit outside of DD specifically gamma world is also a pretty cool setting that's actually how <laughs> i got introduced to tabletop rpgs so i mean put out by wizards and tsr so sort of kind of related also really cool um so yeah totally that's, that's totally. my answer there yeah, and this is free game. Can be any campaign setting. Doesn't have to be TSR or Wizards created. Uh, you know, but Gamma World, whew, what a great entry uh, yes. into tabletop role play. Gamma World, yeah, that was that was crazy. I, you know, I picked it up with some guys in my fraternity in college, and we used to spend our Thursday nights drinking and playing Gamma World, and that's kind of that. That's where I started D and D right after that. I definitely would have joined a fraternity if that's yeah, what is is pretty sweet. Is like. pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, at my school, uh, Patrick Dennis, new to the roundtable. Patrick, welcome. How are you? Why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and and what your involvement in history with D and D is? Oh, who I am, huh? Well, mm-hmm. um, I'm here in the D.C. area. I'm a federal uh, lawyer, so I'll let the listeners make their decisions based on that. I guess, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, my history with D&D, um, I started playing probably 1994. My first game was actually in Planescape. So I would say that's my uh, probably my favorite setting as well, even though I kind of worked into the other ones from there. But uh, it, uh, it was great just because you could do anything, go anywhere in that setting. And there, the artwork specifically was really, really good. Uh, Tony... Dealer Tizzy, I think, was the name of the guy that did most of the style, and he was fantastic. It really sucked you in. All right. Well, uh, why don't we kick things off, because we are going to talk about a uh, beloved adventure that kicked off a campaign setting that is the focus of D&D's next storyline, The Curse of Strahd. We talked a little bit about it on our last podcast because it had sort of gotten leaked that this was going to be the next adventure, but now we have way, way more information in hand about what this is about. Uh, The Wizards put out a podcast about it. Geek and Sundry interviewed Tracy Hickman, who is one of, he's the co-author with his wife, Laura Hickman, on the original adventure module and they did a lot of other Ravenloft stuff, helped develop it into a campaign setting. Um, you know, so, uh, and Ravenloft, for those of you who don't know, 
is a gothic horror setting that centers around a single powerful vampire named Strahd. I think it was sort of groundbreaking at the time it came out, um, way, way back when D&D was still in its old uh, first edition days. Uh, the first adventure came out. Everything centered around this one villain, and it was the first very villain-centric adventure. We are going to talk about The Curse of Strahd is the next fifth edition adventure coming out for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and it seems really, really cool. So why don't we go around the table? Let's talk about sort of what our enthusiasm levels for this are and what experience we've had with Ravenloft, the campaign setting or the adventure in the past. Uh, and let's start with you, Allison Rossi. As I've said before in previous podcasts, my D&D experience is, is pretty recent. Um, I only started playing in uh, I believe it was August 2013. So I believe it was a, not this past Halloween, but the one before that. My dungeon master decided to run, uh, you know, Castle Ravenloft for us. So that was my first experience with it. And then obviously I played with you and some others this Halloween. Um, so I've just had two experiences playing kind of the campaign. Other than that, I didn't really know anything, so I had to do a lot of my own research and, and really get to know the the realm, uh, the realm of dread that is. So that's kind of my experience with it, playing it twice and other outside research. Allison has done massive, massive research for this podcast. Um, she read the adventure again. She emailed out notes to everybody. It was awesome. I didn't have to do anything <laughs> to prepare. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Rudy Basso, what is your history with Ravenloft? And uh, where are your enthusiasm levels for this? Uh, it's a little bit more limited. I didn't really know much about it until you, James, reviewed that original uh, first edition module on an episode of the Tome Show, and then I was immediately super interested. I think Strahd is a very interesting character. I also played, and this is a little bit out there, but I played Neverwinter Nights has a persistent world set in Ravenloft, and for our show, me, uh, D&D, the video game show, me and my friends, we went on there and we kind of walked around and, and did some role-playing. It was really cool, and I highly recommend, if anyone wants to experience something like that people check it out it's completely free they've built this entire world it's really interesting but uh, i am also excited i like a world that's inherently like evil like the bad guys have won and it's not like um <laughs> physic it's not like a physical thing like in dark sun where you're not just dealing with you're, you're dealing with the weather conditions this is like oh that's it you know the good guys lost and uh there's just danger at every turn because it's just scary like like a scary rpg experience is something that that really appeals to me yeah and you know rudy one reason i wanted to have you on is uh we have played some games of knights black agents together uh we played at gen con and you have uh gm'd uh, a campaign and you do an awesome job of uh terrifying me essentially when we play these games um so i think you you have a real knack for this horror storytelling thing and you also kind of get this gothic vampire sense right we're playing through the dracula dossier which is all about yeah. dracula and yeah i mean strahd is very dracula yeah he's dandy dracula think. yeah right? exactly <laughs> so uh yeah i'm i'm pumped to, and I, I am excited to see like what they do with his his mansion or his, his labyrinth or whatever yeah, yeah, it's going to be cool. Well, let's turn to new guy Patrick Dennis now. Patrick, Patrick, 
What is your enthusiasm level for Ravenloft like, and what's your history with the campaign setting? Oh, my enthusiasm enthusiasm level is incredibly high. My passion bucket is overflowing, but uh, it's it's interesting. I actually have quite a bit of experience playing within like the Ravenloft realms, but I haven't actually ever played the original module. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're um, my original group of. Uh, you know, D and D playing friends in junior high, we started, like I said, with Planescape and we played a lot of forgotten realms. And at a certain point, like a lot of angsty teenagers, we ended up uh, doing the world of darkness, vampire and werewolf games. Um, and those games with, you know, their awesome horror themes tended to end the same way with a lot of power creep and people playing characters that were overpowered, throwing cars. And so, <laughs> To get a better horror vibe and stay within our kind of our our bubble, I ended up picking up the second edition box set of Ravenloft, which really expanded the setting itself to the various other um, you know, the domains and the other dark lords. We played a number of the adventures set within that and lots of our own stuff. And it was great because Ravenloft um, brings a whole different feel than the other campaign settings. There's a real sense of consequence to your actions and there's the, the shreds of redemption with even the villains. Like they always seem like they might turn a corner, but no, they end up staying a villain. They, they really humanize, um, Strahd. They really do go to great lengths to give you depth. And I feel like a lot of times in a D&D adventure, you kind of have evil for evil's sake, right? Like Rage of Demons, for instance, all of the demon lords are out to cause chaos and destruction because that's what demons are born to do. Um, you know, and Strahd really does have this story that kind of pulls at your heartstrings and you almost understand him a little bit. So knowing what you know about the adventures and knowing that this is going to be something that is new, it's a a sort of continuation of the Strahd mythos, what are your hopes for this adventure? What what do you want to see and what do you not want to see? Rudy, let's start with you since you sort of have the most wide open field uh, as far as your, your knowledge about Strahd and stuff goes. Well, you kind of touched on it perfectly. I want an, a villain that's complex and layered. I don't want to fight cultists who will fight to the death and have no – like I want more to Strahd than some of the, the enemies we've seen in the most recent adventures. Um, and uh, I want a big dungeon. <laughs> like That seems like the classic uh, thing from the old module is just a big dungeon with lots of crazy things going on and I want to – like crawl through it and see the different rooms. And again, I don't want it to just be kill everything in the dungeon. I want there to be interesting scenarios where talking might be the way out. I don't want it to just be kill everything and then kill the bad guy at the end. Cause he's the bad guy. Yeah. And one of the things that's really, really great about the adventure, like you said, there's uh, this big dungeon in the original adventure where you're going through castle Ravenloft that you get your fortune told by Madam Eva, which is a, a big part of their campaign. The, the D&D Twitter account has been rebranded as Madam Eva, and she will give you tarot cards if you retweet certain hashtags and stuff like that. She plays a big role in the adventure because when she's reading your fortune, she determines where everything is in the castle. So certain things are in certain rooms depending on which tarot cards are drawn in that adventure, which gives it a re- 
replayability that other adventures don't have because you might have to go to a different part of the castle than you've gone to before and face new traps and new monsters and find new NPCs who are living in there. You know, there's a, uh, I was shocked to find the last time we played through it that there is a random girl who is a human girl who's staying there because she thinks Strahd is pretty cool and she's like a rebellious teenager. Like there's all this weird stuff that's going on in there, um, you know, that, that I think makes the adventure great and I'd love to see some of that modularity come back with the huge dungeon because then you can go back into the huge dungeon every Halloween and it's a different adventure right um, so I think that's pretty cool uh, what about you Allison what do you want to see that is different uh, or new and what do you hope they keep from the old adventure so I'm actually hoping that they keep most of what I already know about Ravenloft. Um, I really like the way things have been done as it is. Um, you know, I don't know if it's just the way it's been run for me just because it's been a Halloween one shot, but I definitely would like to see more of, of the realm of dread. You know, I want to see more of how spells are affected by being in this area. I want to see the mists more, you know, instead of getting a note saying, Oh, we need your help here in, you know, this area and you travel through a forest and somehow end up in Ravenloft, I want to see more of, you know, how, how do you get there? I mean, I guess you don't really know because the mists are kind of, uh, they just are, and they can transport you, you know, years before you actually entered or years forward or, or you know, take you somewhere else. Um, so I want to see more of that. I want to see the roles that the Dark Lords play, that the Dark Powers play. You know, the Dark Powers are kind of like this omnipotent thing that may or may not exist. Are they gods? Is it, are they monsters? Is it one thing, multiple things? I want to see how all of those different things kind of interact with this campaign. And I want to see more of those things that you don't generally see in the previous uh, modules that we've gotten. And also um, I'm curious to see how different cultural levels play a part. Um, you know, reading through the kind of, um, the old book about the campaign setting, there was a lot of talk about the the cultural levels, you know, starting from zero being savages to the stone age, all the way up to the Renaissance, um, seeing how that will affect what players can buy um, or trade or whatnot, or, or how it affects the NPCs that they might uh, encounter and seeing how they try and get out of all of this, I guess would be interesting too. I am excited because they have said on the podcast that they are sort of expanding the mists, which are the, you know, the borders of Ravenloft uh, yeah. and Barovia to give you an idea of like how much Strahd's uh, influence has over these people and, and what their world is like and what's going on. And, and, you know, they even talked about how their ideas Tracy Hickman and Laura Hickman have had that they haven't been able to put into print yet. So I, I'm really excited to see the expansion of this world. I think that's great. And it would be nice, you know, if you got almost a, a campaign setting, you could set your own adventures in as well yeah. out of that. The, the mentioning of uh, Madame Eva, you know, again, when I've played it, it's been kind of like, okay, will you come across this tent and she beckons you in and and she tells your fortune and that kind of, you know, on the DM side that sets where different, uh, you know, items and whatnot may be. I'm curious to see um, and explain that the correlation between the two of them is that she she's a Vistani and she kind of uh, there. There are people who kind of had a sixth sense uh, or some sort of command over the mist. Um, so she forged an alliance with Strahd. 
Um, and it was kind of a pack based on need versus respect. So I would like to see more interaction between those two or maybe see how we could, we as DMs or players could kind of flesh that out more. That would be interesting. Patrick, what about you? What do you hope to see in this new adventure and what do you hope is different and, and new? Uh, well, I'm kind of, there's a few things I'm hoping for. I really hope like uh, the others mentioned that, that we get a, a nice complex villain. Strahd's not just the, the dragon at the end of the adventure, you know, waiting in his cave. He's a, he's a predator. He's a hit and run kind of guy. And I suspect, and it's my hope that he'll be a series of encounters during the course of the adventure where you're learning more about him, learning how to fight him. And then my hope is that we don't just simply defeat him. You know, he's managed to deal with, you know, hundreds of, uh, of heroes in his time, as well as other villains um, historically. So I'd like to hope they would keep him moving strong. And my expectation is that the adventure will probably keep itself contained to Barovia. Um, but I would like the materials to, to hint at the, the greater domains of dread, maybe do some name dropping and provide a little bit of uh, mechanics um, in there to give, um, you know, uh, DMs to work with. But I'm, I'm hoping that they're not going to explain it too much. The Dungeon Master's Guide for 5e places Barovia pretty much right in the Shadowfell and even mentions the Dark Powers. And so I worry that they're just going to simply make it another um, easily explainable campaign setting. And I really liked the the vagueness that was a part of it, where you weren't really sure how you got there. You weren't really sure how you were getting out. And if you do get out, you're not really sure where you're going. <laughs> and that was a great part of the old setting, and it provided a lot of opportunities, um, especially if they're going to be using Ravenloft as a door to kind of open up their multiverse. If they are going to have other campaign settings, you can use Ravenloft as a bit of a bridge and introduce characters, um, concepts, and even, like Allison said, the different uh, levels of technology. Uh, you can have, you know, the <laughs> trains running in one domain that have a basis in, you know, Eberron versus the general high fantasy Forgotten Realms, you know, level of technology that typically exists in most D&D campaigns. There is a certain amount of, if you leave it a little loose, it gives a great chance for dms to improv and uh and you know fill in the gaps as they can create the barovia they want to create right um so i think we'll probably see something where there's a lot of suggestions too uh you know with a with a lot of different hey here's a here's a mechanic you could use kind of like we saw the madness uh in rage of demons and and you know mechanics for getting lost and and tracking things um i'd love to see uh this developed even more yeah, and like you said, I, in the old Ravenloft campaign settings had things like horror checks, and they actually had consequences for players that took evil actions. They would take gradual steps to becoming part of the of the realm. They would start growing extra powers along with fur, claws. Like like the original Dark, you know, lords, they'd end up basically building their own prison by you know enabling uh, you know poor decisions and actions on the part of the players. So right. real right. consequences for deciding to, you know, kill the innkeeper for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be really cool to see that, that, 
you know, players can get sucked in. And they've talked a lot about the despair, right, that that people feel and things like that. I One of the things that I really like about this, they have said in their press releases that, yes, you can drop this into the Forgotten Realms, but you can also drop it into anywhere. So it's really the first adventure that's set outside of the realms. And even in the Adventurers League, they are saying that if you play with one character in these Ravenloft adventures, you can't use that character to go back and play a Rage of Demons adventure or, uh, you know, a Tyranny of Dragons adventure or whatever until they leave Barovia. Um, So, you know, people are taking that story point very seriously that this is on another plane. Which leads me to my next question. We're going to speculate a little bit here, guys. Uh, Do you think that this is kind of not the end of Forgotten Realms forever, but do you guys think that, you know, now they've, they've handed Forgotten Realms over to the players, you can publish anything you want in the DMs Guild that takes place in the realms, uh, you know, is this... Now, is Barovia sort of going to be an interlude between this and maybe the next big campaign setting where they might take you to, um, you know, maybe Spelljammer or maybe Planescape to allow you to travel to other campaign settings once that story arc is done? Uh, What do you guys think? Or do you think "Mm, we'll probably be back in the realms after this? I think they might continue to pick and choose the kind of iconic adventures from all the different settings. You know, we've had the Temple of Elmadleva, we've had the Princes of the Apocalypse, now we have this Ravenloft. I think maybe they want to move away from Forgotten Realms and, and explore some of the more interesting settings. Unfortunately, I'm not familiar enough with something like Dark Sun or Spelljam. I don't know if there's some very famous, like, module for those specific settings, but I would love if they'd continue to just kind of bounce around and be like, all right, we're expanding on this classic adventure and and we're updating the rules for fifth edition but we're adding new interesting features so and and this goes along with their their original goal of it being a game that's very module that you can do different like uh you can add mechanics take mechanics away you know they're introducing this tarot card mechanic they're introducing all sorts of interesting things i would love for that just to to keep going, just keep this ball rolling. Give me more and more stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, I feel the exact same way, you know. Um, and it's it's kind of cool to see the, the adventures that were set in the realms. They really tried to make each of those three distinct, right? And I think the realms is a classic. When people think of D anD D, who don't even know D anD D that well, they think of a story kind of that would take place in the realms. Um, so, but it's nice to see like, yeah, now we're, now we're going outside. We're getting into the Gothic horror and, you know, maybe, maybe the weirdness of Eberron is next, or, or maybe we're going to dark sun or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I am with you. Yeah. A hundred percent. I want them to keep threading that needle. And, uh, you know, I think that they're kind of doing a good mix of like, here's something totally new with that revolves around something older, you know, princes of the apocalypse was very, very cool and had shades of elemental evil in it. Definitely inspired by the temple of elemental evil, but it wasn't a straight up, you know, rehash of that. It was a continuation of the story. So, uh, you know, I think that's also in line with the whole fifth edition, iconic D and D stuff. Yes, exactly. 
you know, people like us, I feel like a lot of people our age, we're all sort of of similar age on this podcast, uh, have all heard of a lot of these adventures, and we've played in some of them, but we haven't played in all of them. And it's nice to be able to not have to figure out second edition mechanics uh, to play an adventure, you know? <laughs> uh, so yes. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's cool to bring that back. Uh, Patrick... Uh, what about you? Do you think that this means we're going away from Forgotten Realms for a little while, or do you think we're going to return there sooner than we think? I don't know. It might be that I'm a little cynical, um, but I think Forgotten Realms is really their bread and butter. And as a campaign setting, it's such a broad, high fantasy setting that they can do just about anything there. If you want to have an adventure set... Um, like the old Barrier Peaks module or the one of those original adventures that involved all the giants. Like you could easily do that there, you know, or set it somewhere else. But um, Forgotten Realms allows you so much variety. I think they're going to stick with that as their kind of their home base, if you will. Because um, I suspect with the, the Ravenloft adventure, they're going to have story seeds and a mechanic to get people out of Forgotten Realms and into Ravenloft. But they're also going to provide probably a story and mechanic to get characters back from Ravenloft if they find a, find a way to defeat Strahd in the right way. I suspect they're going to have a number of different endings based on how your players behave. You know, you know, complete wipes. Your players become evil themselves. They just simply fail and remain. But there's probably going to be at least one that allows them to basically solve the the adventure and return themselves to the realms. And I suspect that based on the other campaign settings, like I'd, you'd be hard pressed for them to just do a real hard left turn and, and go into dark sun. Um, I think it's more likely we're going to see some uh, re uh, imaginings of old uh, generic modules like white plume mountain or uh, maybe dragon spear castle kind of stuff. Um, before we see a Dark Sun or a Dragonlance type story. I mean, Dragonlance's main adventure modules, there was 13 or 14 of them telling one huge story. I mean, they could do years of, you know, Adventures League seasons based on Dragonlance alone. So I don't expect they're going to be just taking a left turn and pivoting into a different uh, campaign setting like that. I think they'll use Forgotten Realms as like their their generic setting and kind of layer stuff on it and give you um, on and off ramps to go different places, but they're still going to kind of always come back to that main artery that is Forgotten Realms. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it will be definitely interesting to see, like, is it is it always going to be we're coming back to Forgotten Realms and for two or three stories, and now we're going to do something over here, and now we're coming back to Forgotten Realms, or that's an interesting take on it, and it does sort of ground the Adventurers League, give it a home base, right? Uh, Allison Rossi, what do you think about this? So I, I definitely agree with the fact that I think that the Forgotten Realms is their bread and butter right now. It is, you know, like, like you mentioned, James, whether people know it or not, Forgotten Realms is what they they think of when they hear of D&D. Um, but, I mean, you know, they've been working with Tracy and Laura Hickman. So I wonder if, you know, at the table where they're discussing Ravenloft, you know, did they throw around ideas to bring back Dragonlance? You know, would there be enough interest to bring that back? Um, you know, will the Hickmans work with wizards to bring it back? 
Um, so I feel like that would be somewhere where they definitely could pivot if they wanted to, as they're actively, you know, working with the Hickmans on, on Ravenloft. Um, but, but yeah, I really think that Forgotten Realms is where we're kind of here to stay and we're going to continue building on that world. Um, more, more stuff there for Adventurers League, but that's just my personal opinion. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll jump over to Dark Sun and, you know, it'll surprise everyone. So I guess we'll see what, what the uh, future holds. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, it's certainly an exciting time to be playing the game. Uh, you know, we're going to get all of these cool products, this tarot card deck we've been talking about that Gale Force 9 is making to go along with the adventure, I think is is going to be an item that a lot of people are going to have fun with. Um, yeah, they're beautiful cards. I yeah. mean, Wizards has been tweeting them out at people kind of reading their, their fortunes, which I got an awful fortune about uh, encountering a were-rat on a bridge or something, and I was like, I don't, I don't like this, Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> a different one, um, but the card art is beautiful. Yeah. Gale Force Nine only makes the best stuff. I am not surprised, and I'm super happy Wizards keeps going to them. They are geniuses. Yeah, yeah. It's funny for all their like tabletop RPG extra products that are not digital. Uh, they seem to always uh, pick the right partners. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, for digital stuff. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that is another podcast uh, that we will <laughs> certainly get into. So I guess my my final question here for you guys as we're wrapping up, um, you know, we've had a lot of excitement for a lot of different adventures. Uh, how do you guys feel about this adventure? And is this something you would either seek to buy, run, play in? Uh, you know, is, is this something that you want to experience in some way? Uh, and let's start with you, uh, Patrick. Oh yeah, this is definitely something I want to check out again. Like I like I said earlier, I I loved the the hell out of Ravenloft back uh, when I really first started playing, and I still periodically go through the the novels and um, the associated like game materials. So I am super excited. Uh, I don't think I've pre-ordered it yet, but I will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh i actually that reminds me i need to email my local friendly game store and ask them to reserve a copy for me uh so uh what about you allison are you excited for this and where do you think it kind of ranks among your excitement for all of the adventures we've seen so far in fifth edition so my biggest hype has definitely been for out of the abyss which i'm currently running um i don't think i will pre-order this because i do like to buy it at my game shop um, so I will most likely wait until we get it in the store and then buy it. Um, and then I'll probably skim through it, but not, you know, really delve into it until I'm done with Out of the Abyss. So it's definitely something that I'm going to buy, definitely something that I'm going to run. I will most likely buy the card deck just because they're beautiful cards. And uh, having that physical prop will be pretty fun. And I feel like you could find other ways to incorporate it besides just uh, for the castle. Um, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'd probably say it's right under my excitement, um, that I had for Out of the Abyss and tiefling related things because I was very excited about those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think then the true test is going to be taking it to, uh, Rudy Basso because Rudy, uh, you know, I think that you are a, uh, shrewd consumer, um, and, uh, and that, you know, you have limited gaming time like everybody, uh, and you have not really delved into the world of Ravenloft before. Is this something that you want to play in or, uh, or run? 100%. 
absolutely. Way more than the previous adventures because those didn't really interest me. They just felt like – I mean, I know there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but it did feel like just kind of fantasy. This is so cool to me. I'm really excited. You know, pause the main campaign. Everybody come over. Turn the lights down. Lighten up the candles. Drinking some wine. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could do that, that at my game shop. Dating? I, yeah, it sounds like we're dating. That's not what I'm at. I, uh, I absolutely want to play this entire thing and run it. So, James, expect an email from me. Yeah, well, and I absolutely I want to to run it. You know, I've been, I've kind of, uh, I was really excited for for the first adventures because they were the first adventures and Rage of Demons. Like, I I think demons are cool and everything, but this I think has me most excited for any of the adventures yet. Uh, so, Rudy, believe me when I say we can absolutely put the main campaign on pause uh, and and switch over to this, or perhaps. Your characters will simply find themselves in Barovia uh, because Ravenloft has the ability to do that. Yep. Uh, Darn miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's so great because it's the ultimate. If your players go off the rails, you can just slap this campaign down on them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you're sleeping, and, and then there's mist, and then you wake up, and yeah. you're in Barovia. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. GG guys. <laughs> yeah, and to get out, you have to go through this dungeon. You can't. There's no other way to do it. You have to do it. It is awesome. I know I just made it sound terrible, but it's actually really, really cool. Uh, <laughs> sure. The cover art for this book is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like, Strahd's face, his expression, his, like, that kind of, you know, I'm better than you look, you know, just the uh, everything about this cover is gorgeous. I'm super excited just to own the book just so I can look at it. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of cool images have have come out of this. Um, you know, there's some images of of Strahd looking like a crazy vampire, uh, and some other images of him like looking like a just a regular normal friendly dude. Um, uh, well, not friendly, but Complex. a normal. Yeah, <laughs> complex. There well, I think go. that's like actually really a key part of his personality that he's got this veneer of civility when underneath, right below the surface, is just boiling rage, ready <laughs> to erupt. Yeah, yeah, he's the dark brooding guy in high school. All the ladies love. So, uh, <laughs> or in this case, not really. <laughs> right. That's why he is what he is. It's Kylo Ren. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's Kylo Ren as a vampire in a gothic fantasy medieval setting, Uh, which is awesome. Uh, Who doesn't want to play in that, guys? So uh, we definitely want to know what the people out there think. Please, please come find us and tell us uh, how excited you are for the Curse of Strahd and what you want to see after this storyline from Wizards. It's never too early to speculate. Uh, So head on over to thetomeshow.com or facebook.com slash thetomeshow. All right, and now... Last week, we had a super long podcast because the OGL was announced for 5th edition. Well, the first segment of that show featured a panel with Liz Tice, Rich Howard, Topher Cohen, and Dave Gibson talking about that very news. They also reviewed the latest free adventure in Dragon Plus called The Occupation of Sizzmore Kane. Uh, Our OGL podcast was so huge that I didn't get to include that conversation. So as a bonus for this podcast, I'm going to play it for you right now. 
we are actually going to talk very quickly about uh, an adventure, which is why we originally gathered here this evening, uh, the occupation of Sizzle Morcane, uh, and I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly. It's an adventure, uh, one of the D&D expeditions for uh, 5th to 10th level PCs um, that uh, is part of the Rage of Demons storyline. Uh, it is available for free through the latest issue of Dragon Plus. Uh, you can also buy it on the Dungeon Masters Guild for three ninety nine. dollars um, So <laughs> we'll include a link to both in the show notes uh, in case you want to pay for it and support uh, something really great. Uh, or if you just want it for free to check it out. Uh, so we're going to talk about this real, real quick again. Uh, again, part of the Rage of Demons storyline. Uh, and it is an adventure, uh, that is, uh, you know, like many of these expeditions sort of divided into three parts. You start on the surface, then you head down into the Underdark, and then you are, uh, taking out a little bit of an outpost that's run by some crazy fire giants, and you're, uh, interacting with, uh, Mykonids, and, uh, there's Grotzt madness going on um so uh it's a it's a neat little adventure again we're getting it for free so that's always a good thing uh topher why don't we start with you just tell me overall what did you think of the adventure all right let's start with the fact you have an a bard as an npc <laughs> and we all know my love of bards i mean they're the greatest class ever and you get one as an npc and he's pretty fun and in the first section you get to wrestle <laughs> <laughs> there are rules for wrestling Right, right. How cool is that? I think it's great. I think it's a well-written adventure. Uh, I think that you need to be careful that even though this adventure, DDEX 3-3, it's not the third one because it is 5 to 10. Right, right. Uh, you you need to be careful with that. People who are just looking to download and play it at home, it, you know, who have 3-1 and 3-2, which Dragon Plus also gave us, make sure that you, you don't just then pop your fourth-level characters down and start playing this. Your third-level characters, they're not going to do well. Uh, I think it, I think it's well laid out. I think it's a fun adventure. I think it tells a great story. I think it ends well. Um, I think that much like, much like a lot of the expeditions and adventures league stuff, it is really meant for convention play Mm -hmm. and or in store play. So I'm not sure how well it translates to home play. I could see stuff in here being pulled out and put into your home game. But I don't know how well it would play if, as a as just part of your, you know, monthly or weekly or biweekly or however often your buddies get together and play D and D at your house, because uh, that's not how I play. So, but I think from a adventurers league point of view, any convention and public play and store play, I think it plays well, and I think it, it got it got great reviews when it hit the when it got played at a um, at conventions, and so uh, I think uh, I think I like it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I think are are really cool. Um, I you know the wrestling thing was such a fun part of the adventure, and my one complaint with that is that it happens, it's awesome, but then it doesn't really ever pay off. Like the no, consequences right. of it don't really right. matter. Yeah, and I should also say that I think the the adventure ramps kind of slowly too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of you come upon things that are that have just ended, which I would have liked to have been part of. And in, in the beginning of the adventure, I think it ramps kind of slowly, but I think once you, but I kind of forgot all that because the, the meat of the adventure was, was good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I think overall great adventure. I would definitely play it. Uh, what did you think Dave Gibson? 
don't have a lot of experience with uh, the Adventurers League. I have a little bit, but I have a lot more experience with Pathfinder Society and a crap ton of experience with Living Greyhawk, which was basically my home campaign during 3rd edition. That's all I, I played for 3E for years. Um, so I was approached it looking at it as, a, as an organized play GM who played in stores a lot, and I was a lot less impressed. I don't know how... Um, it feels like the middle part of adventure or the beginning of a two-part adventure, the plot of it. Mm. The, it's, so much of it is rescue this guy to find out what's going on in the, in the, the city. Spoilers. And, <laughs> which, which means there's not a lot of payoff. You do your mission, you succeed, and then what? There's not a lot of resolution for it. Right, and right. It, that we, it's what, which it might be really great in the Adventurers League season. In that you can play it and then you play the sequel and then like all the stuff that's happened in this builds off and pays off. But it's a really poor example of a, here's an interesting adventure for free to show what their adventures are like because it's not a one and done. Right. Um, the, and there's a, there's a lot of prelude, as Topher says, that it ramps up. I mean, it's looking at it, there's 11 pages before the real adventure begins. There's some adventure hooks and then you're hired and you have a random encounter and then you kind of wander into a town that doesn't really, nothing much happens in. And then you get back and meet the person you had encountered again, which is kind of a neat throwback, but doesn't, didn't really need to happen. They could have just jumped right to uh, being at Elven Tree and being assigned to the quest. There's some, there's some oddities in the, the actual adventure itself to spoil it completely. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a linear story with a gigantic trap option in it, which I'm critical of. In, the, in that... Uh, you're given a choice of you can work with the the, uh, the 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 ally of the Mykonids, not to say who that is for just in case someone wants to play it. Sure, you can sure. work with that ally who you really have no reason to trust and like, or you can hoof it overland. But hoofing it overland is an auto fail, and then the rest of the adventure just you're just going through the motions and you don't really succeed. You're just playing for a long time but not really doing anything. So it's not really it's a false choice. You don't really want to take that, which is kind of odd. It's also really challenging. I mean, it's meant for <laughs> eighth level characters, but it could be like sixth or seventh, fifth level characters. And there are, you know, fire giants, <laughs> challenge nine giant, even for eighth level characters. That could, this could rip you apart. <laughs> you know how to tell. Well, so. I think they do give some advice, right? About how you could, if your, if your party isn't eighth level, how to, uh, yeah. Tone down the encounters, uh, the, the danger, although they are still pretty dangerous. I think yes. you can do that. Yeah, and that would be my other complaint, actually, is that if you choose the the sort of overland route or the, you know, we're, we're going to try to hoof it on our own, there's not even a lot of advice about how to do that, you know. Um, and I think part of it is you are uh, limited by the the Adventurers League design, right? The, you can only have so many words. The session has to be four hours so that it can get be done in time and, and that sort of thing. So I think she doesn't get a chance to go off in all of those directions where maybe she would have liked to have gone. Does that make sense? Topher is, is that, is that assumption correct that this is the beginning or middle part of an adventure? Uh, Adventures league is done in tiers. Mm -hmm. It's level one through four is a tier level um, uh, five through 10 is a tier. And then this year we have a level 11 through 16 as a tier. There's two adventures in that. So this kicks off what we call tier two. And so it, the numbers get wonky wonky because they released them. The numbers are the release orders. This was the third adventure to come out, but they wanted a high end, a high level adventure that could be played at conventions early on in the season three's lifespan. Right. 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 So I think the next one is actually three dash seven. Gotcha. 
maybe three dash nine. I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, yeah. But you're right, James. This kicks off that tier. Right. Which kicks off that section of the adventure. You're absolutely right on that. So there's more coming. Maybe you can even buy them uh, over at uh, the DMsGuild.com. Um, and you can. Uh, yeah. Season 3 is available. <laughs> uh, so it'll be interesting to see how many people actually pick up those Expeditions adventures because people have been clamoring for them. Um, you know, like I would buy them if I could. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, let's see. Liz. What did you think of this adventure, and how did you pronounce its title? <laughs> oh man, now you're putting me on the spot. I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't think of I, Zith Morcane. I think is what I would say, but uh, I'd probably rename it. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I'm looking at adventures, I always I always look at them as you know how can I basically steal it and um, adapt it to my game, uh, my campaign, because I usually don't, don't run in, um, the official settings put out by, uh, Wizards of the Coast or, or Paizo. They're great, but it's just not usually my cup of tea or my group's cup of tea. So I came at this looking at it as, you know, how could I take this and put it into my, my game. And I saw potential. I also didn't really like the, the Mykonid situation. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I loved the fact that the first NPC, the, the players meet is not only a bard, yay bard, um, uh, but also female. So it, it, a lot of the, the NPCs that the players meet are, are all female from the get go, which was a huge plus for me. Um, and, Fun, fun to see. And I, I love, um, I think it's Eleniel. Um, oh, yeah. The, yeah, the first the first NPC. I thought she was really fun. And I was thinking to myself as I read it, like, this would be really fun to role play. So <laughs> uh, I I thought the pacing was, was good for me and how I usually play with my groups. Um, I like it to not necessarily be action, 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 action. Um, and a little bit of a slower pace uh, in between the action. So it worked out from my point of view, but I think it would definitely depend on the group that you're playing with and uh, their preferences. Definitely, you know, um, and I do like that, what you just said there, because that's what I always do with these things is I steal what I like and, you know, I, I leave the other stuff and I'm like, you know, maybe I'll come back and grab some of this later. Maybe I won't. Um, and so it, it's always great, especially with a free product like this, uh, to, to approach it with that mind and say, what can we steal? What can't we steal? Um, and I am with you 100%. It's always great to see a lot of uh, female NPCs in an adventure. Uh, it's like women are part of the world or something. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, which is, which is great and they were like multifaceted interesting women um so who exactly damsels in distress all the time and that kind of thing so i like that uh rich howard what did yeah. you think of this adventure and how did you pronounce its title i thought you guys did a great job zithmore kane oh, i'm in nice nice yeah i'm in yeah i'm in right. it's it's the more pronounceable i think of any of the recent drow drow <laughs> cities so I, I don't do adventures league. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this from like, how is this presenting information to me? Like, how is this giving me things to work with? Mm -hmm. And so, um, of course I didn't have a chance to read through every detail of the 35 page 
adventure and analyze it. But so I love the fact that they put in like little quick notes at role playing notes for the NPCs. I loved little things that like one of the things that kind of reflected one of the reasons I really like 5e is things like um, this bard that you run into uh, at the beginning of the adventure. You can make a history check to see if you know who they are. But they just make a little comment like, oh, if you have the entertainer background, you know, you get advantage on the check. So suddenly somebody who doesn't doesn't have to be trained in history, somebody who has the entertainer background that might be, well, who knows, like a rogue entertainer or something else. You don't necessarily have to be a bard trained in history to know who this person is. Um, you get you get to use the backgrounds and other aspects of the the game um, for flavor. And I really like that. The wrestling was interesting to me as well. Um, I like the idea that someone is like challenging you and want to make sure that you can do the job. Mm-hmm. But it did seem like, because there weren't, like you were saying, there aren't really any consequences. And it looks like they just kind of wanted to put in some ra- grappling rules, you know? Right. And I'm, it could be a fun scene. I mean, I would play that up, you know, play that up quite a bit. Um, so I like the rat wrestling. <laughs> the, the wrestling, as they put it, wrestling. Right, right. The wrestling. You want to wrestle, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we're not s- kind of spoiling the ally situation, but I, I that also jumped out at me as well. I liked the idea, but it did seem to be kind of an all or nothing choice. So um, I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of all or nothing choices. I also would have liked to, have, if you decide to hoof it, as the phrase we're using is. Um, <laughs> You know, it's a perfect opportunity to to explore a, an entirely different tier of of D and D, right? I mean, it's the Rangers' forte, you know, to be able to to do that. So, a few notes on that might have been might have been uh, helpful. And then later on, you were talking about there's you know fire giants and and craziness going on, and of course, you know, it's part of this new uh, kind of adventure path. So, I mean, there's some there's there's there could be some demonic things happening in it. Um, but there were some aspects talking about like slaves and about, you know, people who may be fighting, you know, not necessarily as their first choice. And, you know, it gave some options for people to be not necessarily killing everything in sight, um, which I always like. And then the little details, like when you're describing a, a place that you walk in, they don't talk about just how something looks. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually had one of the things talked about smell. Right. And, you know, as a, as a, uh, yeah, I, I like when I'm reading a story or when I'm writing writing a piece of prose or whatever. You got to bring in all the senses, and it's something that we don't always do uh, in in our games around the table. It's here's a map. This is what you can interact with, and that's it. Not the temperature and the feel and the smell and the the the, the sounds that don't have something to do with you know the skeleton shuffling on the other side of the door. I like that kind of stuff being added into adventures like this um, to be able to feed to your, to your PCs. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I also liked in her description, she had, uh, she used touch a lot as well, which I thought yep. was great. And she used metaphor often, Yeah, uh, which I, I was really happy to see because it does feel sometimes so linear. You see this and this is 10 feet from this and blah, blah, blah. It was great to, to have metaphor in there as well. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. this, can, this can be descriptive. Good job. Very evocative writing. I was, I was a big fan of that. And yeah, that was my, my big complaint was sort of this, this choice at the end that's not really a choice. 
if if you're constrained by time and you can't actually go overland because it's going to take 60 days of in-game time and when you go through the Underdark, you kind of want to roleplay every day, why not move the thing closer then, right? Why not have it exist mm-hmm. much closer to where you are so you don't have to hoof it over 60 days, you hoof it over two. Uh, it's, it's definitely... Uh, a cool adventure. I think people should definitely check it out. It's free after all. Um, we definitely want to know what everybody out there thinks about this adventure. Go hit us up over at thetomeshow.com or facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Where can people find you on the internet, Topher? Uh, they can find me uh, all over the internet. They can find me on the Facebook at Topher Cohan. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-A-N. They can find me on the Twitters. At Topher ATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Uh, also on the Google Plus, if you um, like to have a social network that nobody uses. Um, you can also, uh, every Wednesday night, I'm at the Titan Dandy Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, helping them run D&D Adventures League. So if you live in the Smyrna area, um, come by and say hi. I'm also the Southeast Regional Coordinator for Adventures League. So if you have any questions, hit me up and I will talk to you all you want to because I love me some of that stuff. <laughs> Thank you very much, Topher Cohan. Uh, and Dave Gibson, where can people find you? Twitter at, at DNDJester, and you can read my blog and webcomic over at uh, 5MWD. It's a five-minute workday, new comic every Tuesday, Thursday, and probably very quickly, uh, it's my 5e content on uh, drive through RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Check out Dave's stuff. He is amazing. Dave, thank you very much for being on the roundtable today. Uh, Liz, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Liz Tice. Um, If you don't know how to spell that, it's at Liz the is. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Liz. And Rich, where can people find you? Well, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at, at Umbral Walker. U-M-B-R-A-L Walker. Uh, and of course, you can also find me on tribality.com with all the fantastic writers that are over there. Go check that out. And then I do have my own blog, as you mentioned, um, gameschangelives.com. Uh, that has not been updated recently <laughs> because I do, you know, a couple of, couple of columns a week, sometimes at tribality. So, um, but there is some other material over there. And if you're playing Pathfinder, I do have another website that I actually don't send out too much it's actually pathfinderd20.com um i ran um jade regent and uh put up a bunch of notes about how i ran it and how i converted things and how i used um, published maps and minis and things like that to, to bring the game to the table so people might be interested in checking that out Two awesome listeners and designers, Stone Love Charm and Greg Schulz, have put out an awesome RPG called Story Cube. I was lucky enough to interview these two about their RPG, which includes some pretty unique and amazing mechanics. Let's roll that interview now. All right, everybody, I am here with Gregory Schultz and with Stone Love Charm, and we are talking about their awesome game, Story Cube, which is an RPG that they have designed themselves because they're amazing. Uh, guys, welcome to the roundtable. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, thank you for coming on. So I want to get right into it. Let's talk a little bit about StoryCube. You know, our audience is familiar with the tabletop role-playing games. They know what they are and, and how they work. But what is StoryCube? What makes it different from everything else? Well, sure. Um, yeah, well, basically, it all starts with these with these StoryCubes, which we used Rory's StoryCubes. Um, and it's kind of, 
it's sort of forced writing prompts to a degree. One of the issues with a lot of role-playing games, and you definitely see it in D&D 4th Edition, but you do see it in a lot of games, um, it's really easy to railroad yourself into tactical thinking. Yep. You end up really getting to the point where where you're really thinking about more about the numbers than about the, the role-playing of it, the storytelling. So basically, StoryCube kind of forces you, or at least heavily incentivizes you, in order to... Um, to really tell stories more than, than focus on the numbers. Use your imagination. I mean, that's what the story cubes were originally designed for is just to use your imagination to create stories. Yeah. And these cubes, they're actually made, uh, well, the ones that we're using are originally made by, uh, by a, a man named Rory in the UK, I believe. Ireland, I think. Is he Ireland? Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, they're just, they're just these little cubes that have images on them. And if, if you go on Google, you can find a lot of different types. Um, but basically, yeah, you, you are heavily incentivized in that your percentage of success for doing an action gets higher and higher the more uh, cubes that you've rolled that you actually use to tell your, your action for your character, or um, definitely the, the more that you use, not so much for, for making your items, but all of your character's items and skills and everything come forth from the cubes. So it's essentially just just really incentivizing the idea of, of role play over the idea of tactical play. And one thing that I really love about this, and I want to get into how'd you think of it, where'd you go from, I love story cubes, they are amazing, and they're even great for, for improv, right? Like, it's it's great for group storytelling, because you never know quite where the people you're with are, are going, um, and it's it's great for that. But the one thing I love about this is that you can really, because it's so story-based, you can tell a story in any setting or time period you want to tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. There's uh, as long as uh, uh, you have a, make a character that can actually think. Um, it has to be sentient. You could do anything imaginable and unimaginable that you even thought haven't even thought about yet. Yeah, like one of them that's actually built into the book that Greg came up with is uh, called Toypocalypse, and everything's just a sentient object, more or less, mostly toys. Mostly toys, yes. I mean, who doesn't love that? That's amazing. <laughs> you know, you could interpret that as Toy Story. You could interpret that as Small Soldiers. Uh, you know, you, you can go all over the place with that. That's awesome. Well, yeah, one of them in one of the play tests was actually a blob of silly putty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I use StoryCube to do a whole bunch of mashup genre fiction? So, you know, if I want uh, zombies in a modern setting where somebody's a superhero and somebody's a time-traveling cop, am I able to do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the core mechanic, and, and I'm sure that when you looked through it, you kind of noticed that a lot of the core mechanic revolves around this idea of things. Yes. And, and a thing is literally anything. It's skills, it's, it's knowledges, it's objects. And so you can really create any character you want. And the interesting thing is that success is based solely on being able to come up with something you can do with your stuff. Even in combat, success is based on, on uh, what you can do with your stuff and with your things. So basically, there's no like more powerful or less powerful way to make a character. Ah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So give me an example of, of how this works, right? Let's say I am playing a brave knight, just to bring it into the, the cliche aspect. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and I am faced with a dragon in my path who has a damsel in distress that uh, he is ransoming to the king. Uh, and, and I am choosing to uh, run the dragon through with my lance. Uh, how is that resolved? Um, well, you start by doing an action. 
uh, which basically you just take uh, three of the of the cubes. You always use an action cube and then two of any of the others. And you roll them and you try and use as many as you can. Um, essentially, the, the, the mechanic is that if you can't use any of them to tell your story, well, then you just use a D12 and you have to get six or better to succeed. Um, if you can use... Two, it's two, correct? Yep, two cubes. Yep, two cubes or more. Uh, you can, uh, well, two cubes. You can use a D8, uh, and four or better increases your percentage of success. And then if you use all three, you can use a D6, and then three or better uh, is your success point. But essentially, so you decide you want to do that action. You decide you want to run at this enemy as your knight. And... Um, and so you'd roll the cubes and you'd use as many of them as you can. And then you'd roll uh, your die to see if you succeed. And it, whether you do or you don't, you actually use the cubes that you rolled to determine how you did or didn't. So the story is always moving forward to some degree. And you could also decide to do something completely different and be equally have a chance of success. You might try negotiating or you might try some sort of trickery. That's excellent. So uh, what do these story cubes, for people who have never seen them before, what do they say on their various sides? Well, they don't say anything. They have the pictures. And actually, I first heard of Rory Story Cubes when uh, I was listening to the Tome Show podcast. I think it was uh, Jeff Greiner who mentioned using Rory Story Cubes. Big to, fan. He's a big it, fan of those. Yeah. <laughs> for, uh, for NPCs, non-player characters in different situations. So that's when I first got the uh, original and Voyages sets. And, um, and the originals and Voyages, I mean, just a random assortment of, of pictures on it of different... Uh, from a question mark to uh, the letter L, which we found out is a, a driver's license in Ireland, to yeah. <laughs> a letter to a pyramid, to walking sticks, to stakes, anything like that. And then there's the action set. And um, the, the actions cubes um, basically mostly just... stick figures doing Yeah, things. mostly stick figures doing various things. Uh, and uh, so we that's how it first started with, with the cubes... Um, is using it uh, for for non-player characters, and from there we had well we put in our in our website that uh, we had one boring day at work. I was at my <laughs> site and him at his site. I'm like, I wonder if we can make a game out of this uh, somehow, um, and uh, that's where it all got started. Yeah, you sent the email to me, and I'm like, you know, you were like, do you think you can make we could make a game out of this? And I'm like, yeah, and here's some ideas, and he sent some back, and pretty soon we had a small rule book going. <laughs> and there's different cubes that have come out uh, that. Uh, specialize in different areas there's the enchanted cubes if you want to play like a fairy tale like setting there's clues cubes for more mystery uh, mm -hmm. intergalactic they just came out with three more yeah, the batman the, ones the, are really good for like you know that kind of superhero-esque noir investigation so it allows you to focus into a setting by picking certain cubes that you want to use in the in the game setting this is excellent i love this i love <laughs> The idea of, uh, you know, story-based mechanics. And I think that you guys have really hit on something here as far as an incentive for people to think outside the box, right? Because, hey, if I can use more of these, my chances of success and not dying or not failing uh, go up, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's more interesting, like, your actions with your, your knight with the lance instead of just saying, all right, I'll just stab the dragon. By rolling the cubes, it different images will come up that will spark your imagination to actually describe instead of saying, all right, I stab and I roll it, <laughs> I roll it this number and I hit and I do this much damage. Instead, you could, uh, depending on the cubes and, and what images come up, you can use those and usually it's a lot of turn the phrases for example oh, one yeah. of the most popular ones in the action set 
is some laundry being done, which <laughs> normally in combat sounds incredibly boring. But now it's basically come that uh, we lay them out, to, lay them out to dry, or hanging them out to dry is the catchphrase we use. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of uh, hokey, uh, funny catchphrases, and, yeah, a lot uh, of that. and there's a lot of laughter. Even to, for a serious action or superheroes game, there's actually a lot of laughter. That the things that you can come up with with these uh, phrases and these cubes. Oh yeah, I imagine it is. This sounds like a, you know, a great form of long form improv storytelling. You know, um, and and I can only imagine that it helps everybody sort of up their storytelling game who plays it, you know, that that it sounds like you guys have found a way to even the power gamers in my group, uh, you know, would be like, well, okay, well, I I can see. okay, this is how I have to do this. And, oh, everybody's having a good time laughing. So I'm not afraid to go for the weird turn of phrase here, you know. Yeah, it does. It does really give people like almost permission to be goofy, which a lot of games don't seem to give that quite as much. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. So, uh, tell me about this uh, this core rulebook that you have released. Um, you know, it's 148 pages, and you guys also have a release schedule for some adventures. Is that correct? We do. Yeah, uh, we released the first one actually just a couple of days ago. It's available on Drive Through RPG right now. Um, it's called uh, Temple of the Sun, and it takes place in that toy apocalypse setting we mentioned earlier where everyone's a toy. Um, but yeah, basically the idea is that we're going to try and release uh, one of these short adventures. They're about, you know, 10 to 15 scenes, so maybe about two hours worth of play. Um, and it's basically broken up into scenes to really think of it cinematically, which is how we really want players to think of it. But yeah, we're going to be releasing uh, at least one a month. Um, and the first one is Pay What You Want, so free. Um <laughs> Or, yeah. t- or twenty cents, like we got today. Yeah, one guy, one guy paid twenty cents, which was very nice of them to pay us something. <laughs> wow! Um, come on, people, pay for those adventures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, future ones we're planning to do for two dollars, uh, unless I guess if they're spectacularly simple, we might lower the price. Like if it doesn't take us any time at all, we'll kind of gauge it based on the work that goes into it. And um, I'm hoping to add some other stuff in the future. Right now, they're pretty basic. It's just it's just what you do and how it's played. But um, I'm working on learning how to do a little bit more map making and that kind of thing. So future ones might have small basic maps in them, maybe some some drawings of, of the NPCs, things like that, which we actually call non-characters, not NPCs in this game. But um, yeah, so the release schedule is basically to keep up with those adventures, at least for the first year, and then go from there. We have some ideas for a couple of expansions that... We might get out later this year, maybe three, six months, just uh, different sort of adjustments to the game to play it in different styles. We have a tactical concept uh, to, to actually make the make the conflicts a bit more like um, like tabletop skirmish combats for people who are really into the kind of tabletop minis and maps concept. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool that you uh, have a vision for doing that for this very, very story-based game. Yeah, yeah, and we actually have a couple of other games that we're actually working on. We both have, well, yeah, we'll, we won't get into that, but if you want to <laughs> check out our, our website, people can see a little bit more about that. That's in the in the future. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, so right now that's that's the tentative release date. Just uh, try and get out a, a minimum of an adventure a month. That's excellent. That's a really, really great release date, especially for two guys who are uh, doing this basically out of uh, the, the passion that they're feeling. How much is the core rulebook if people want to go get that? 
Oh, uh, the physical version is 1995, and it's currently only available on Lulu. It's a self-publishing website, um, but the digital version is 9.95, and that's at Drive Through RPG. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, listed under Story Cube, the role-playing game, um, or you can search for our company, which is Creepy Assassin. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're definitely going to link both of those over in the TomeShow.com show notes uh, for people to uh, to go and check out. Uh, I mean, this is a really, really great deal. I loved reading through this. It's also, uh, uh, you can tell you guys had a good time writing we this. <laughs> yeah, I think you can really tell in the examples that we used that we, we had some fun writing those little short story blurbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely can. So, and it made me, like I said, it really made me think of all the possibilities. I'm always on the lookout for a good comedic superhero game. Mm-hmm. And it seems like superhero games always the mechanics are always so crazy and ridiculous um, that it's it's kind of hard to to find something where you could just sit back and tell a cool story. And this lets me do it. It totally lets me do it. <laughs> Well, the, yeah, the mechanics are so this mechanics are so simple and basic, and whether <laughs> you're dealing with what we call a non-conflict, which is like a contest between two individuals, where it, it could be someone is sneaking and someone's uh, trying to spot you, or uh, you're having a negotiation over uh, trade rights or something mm-hmm. like that, or or any type <laughs> of diplomacy or whatever, it's done in the same way. As, as the actions are done in the same way as if you are in conflict, which is what the, the combat is. Um, basically is that you each take your action, and if you succeed at that action, you inflict either a, um, either a wound in, in conflict or you inflict a – I already forgot the term. Oh, a blunder? Bl- not a blunder. Oh, what do you – Oh, the setbacks. The setback, that's how it was. Yeah, setbacks and non-conflict. <laughs> we switched those when we, we called it one thing, the blunder and the setback, a different thing. But we inflict setbacks and non-conflict in that if you're negotiating and you succeed, you inflict a setback. So there's never a difficulty check that you have to worry about. Things are pretty free-flowing. It moves very it moves very quickly. And so that conflict and non-conflict, the contest and the combat, use the same mechanic. And um, you can... Just use your imagination of how you can use that same mechanic to cover anything to chase scenes to um, whatever else. Yeah, any kind of wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Negotiation. Whatever it may be covers the same mechanic for both. So it's it's an easy game to pick up. Uh, My son, who was nine years old at the time, picked up the game in about five minutes. (laughs) Um, It's very simple. Character generation is um, fairly simple, too. In that you just uh, grab some cubes, you grab a total of five cubes and roll them, and you make your character's core thing, which is kind of your background. You pick three of the cubes to help describe what your background is. And then from there, you grab another five cubes and you roll them and you create two what we call just things. And these are what Stone said before. They could be weapons, different psychic powers, uh, uh, the ability to uh, discuss law, whatever it may be, (laughs) diplomacy, the ability to sneak... uh, Whatever thing, skill that you could possibly think of that fits the setting that you are in is uh, what you make. And your characters generally can make a character in about five minutes. And uh, from there, you can go on to your great adventure. And one of the really cool things about well, what, well, what's sort of the built-in leveling up mechanic 
is that you actually you increase your character's ability by doing things using the things that they already have. So different actions that you do successfully or even unsuccessfully will push your character via what we call precedence. Um, in a direction of, of, of skill and ability. So you're kind of, you're building onto your character's capacity by doing things. Wow. You know, they, they should give you guys the, uh, the Doctor Who license. Uh, cause this would also be perfect for that. It would be perfect for so many things. Um, I, uh, I love this approach, you guys. I really cannot wait to play it. And the other thing I think it's really good for, you brought up your nine year old son. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention this is, uh, I have a fiance who does not, play tabletop role-playing games and i'm trying to get her just to try one so she can see what i spend so much time doing you know um and this actually seems like not only is it a great one for people who are veterans because you can have a great time with these story cubes improving and that kind of thing but it's also so easy to grasp it's one of those that's not going to be intimidating to new people you oh. know you're not going to say here's six core rule books and now you have to figure it out you can send them <laughs> up and uh, and the same general mechanic kind of applies to all situations, which is great. You know. Yeah, and then you can also, as I said, you know, it's open to any possible thing that you could imagine. So if, if a person hates uh, superheroes and uh, fantasy knights, but really likes to uh, play whatever possibly you could think of, for mm-hmm. example, wants to play uh, office furniture that are trying to <laughs> figure out uh, what happened to the Rima paper that disappeared, yeah. you can do that with this game. I mean, it's open to any possible <laughs> thing that you could think of. Yeah. Or like the, the setting that uh, the next adventure is going to come out in uh, that you've been working on. Yeah. It's sort of, I, I'm thinking of it as a non-superhero superhero setting. Yeah, it's perfect, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of this sort of like watch mini vibe where it's just very much like, they're superheroes, but they're very much just like everyday people who maybe they have a power, or maybe they have a skill or something. And they're just, it's way, it's completely not over the top. So it's not, you know, nobody's Superman. Uh, they <laughs> no. destroy everything. It's like, <laughs> probably be like the movie Kick-Ass. But, yes, but like maybe that. with a little bit more to it. So yeah, it's very much uh, like you know, it's like if Iron Man made his suit entirely out of trash. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I am so on board. I am so on board with this. This is an amazing game. So, uh, if people want to find you on the internet, where should they go? Uh, well, the best place is uh, creepyassassin.com. That's our company website. Um, also, you can search Creepy Assassin at Drive Through RPG. Um, and, uh, my personal Twitter is at stone love charm, where I tend to tweet a lot of the stuff that we're doing. Excellent. Excellent. Greg, where can people find you? They can find me wherever <laughs> stone said they could find me. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. One between the two of us, the Twitters. So. Yeah. <laughs> He's got, I got 15 years on him. So he knows all this electronic <laughs> stuff. So. Excellent. Excellent. And you guys, you don't have to, to release any details yet, but you're working on other stuff together. Yeah, we were both working on uh, on rule sets independently, much more tactical, I'd say. Yeah. Um, very much like inspired by our experiences with D and D and and other like games of that of that style uh, prior to working on this together. So we're kind of looking to slowly get back into those a little bit. But um, yeah, maybe maybe a year, maybe a little bit more out. Um, I have one called Real Tack that's kind of one of those ones that's attempting to bridge the gap between complexity and realism. And, and and I'm working on a, using a, just a, a system that just uses a 10-sided die. I know there's other systems out there, but I am very ignorant of it, so maybe it's best to work in a vacuum over that. So, But yeah, I'm working on a, on a system that just uses a, a 10-sided die for uh, ease, and uh, it's a fantasy setting where you can just combine different uh, 
classes. Uh, you get to choose three different classes. You combine them into whatever you want. And I, I think I figured it's like 52,000 different possibilities. So, yeah. So it really opens it up. So that's awesome. I'm in, I'm in for that as well. Uh, <laughs> well, gentlemen, whenever those projects are complete, I do hope you will come back to the round table and tell us all about them. Most definitely. Oh yeah. Excellent. Thanks guys. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to mention before we go? I guess that's it. One thing, actually, you mentioned that the book is uh, 144 pages, but actually if people want to just learn the rules, I mean, the, the core rules actually stop at page 86, so it is a very fast game to pick up. Yes, yeah, it is a, a super fast game. People should not be intimidated by this at all, but you do get a lot of bang for your buck as well. Um, oh, yeah, we have, we have uh, villains in there, and we have two settings as well to start people off. Yeah, and tons and tons and tons of inspiration, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I look for in my books when I uh, when I go for a role playing game. So um, this is excellent, gentlemen. Uh, you are to be commended for the work that you have done, and thank you for making a thing that is awesome. Well, hey, thanks for liking it so much. Thank you. <laughs> And before we go, there's a final segment that we're going to start doing every week here on the roundtable. Dave Gibson, who is on this very podcast, suggested we highlight a different DMs Guild product every week to highlight an up-and-coming designer. I thought it was a brilliant idea, and wouldn't you know it, this week's highlighted DMs Guild product is 5-Minute Workday Presents Feats. It's from the mind of Mr. Dave Gibson himself. He did not know I was going to do this. It's only 50 cents and has over 20 new feats for your D&D game, including Alchemist, Blood Mage, Knife Master, Spear Warrior, Draconic Wings, you guys. You have to check it out. There's a reason this product has stayed in the top 20 on the DMs Guild for a while. Head on over to thetomeshow.com. We've got a direct link in the show notes for this episode for you to check out 5-Minute Workday Presents Feats by Dave Gibson himself. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for the roundtable this week. Rudy Basso, where can people find you? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso. Uh, I do have a podcast on this network. It has been on, um, I'll say, hiatus for a while. (laughs) Uh, entirely my fault. I apologize to both of our listeners. It's called D and D V and G. We talk about Dungeons and Dragons video games. Uh, the next one coming out is about Sword Coast Legends. Guys, don't buy Sword Coast Legends. All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Allison Rossi, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at charm underscore underscore person, or you can find me on Twitch. Uh, it's twitch.tv slash padfoot240. Generally, we uh, stream D&D, however, the holidays and our one player's baby and literally everything you could possibly think of have been kind of keeping us from playing, but we're hoping to play more soon at some point. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, you guys should definitely check that out. It is an entertaining game entertain your brain okay uh patrick dennis thank you so much for for having this lovely first chat on the round table one of many i'm sure uh where can people find you on the internet well i guess the easiest one is uh twitter um i'm at patrick badger as in my name and the animal (laughs) there's a story to that for another time um additionally i've recently started a twitter account that i'll be using um called at abletop So tabletop, but without the T, and I'll be using that to focus on um, diversity in gaming, uh, specifically making gaming accessible to people with disabilities. 
whoa, that is really awesome. Uh, we should have you on a round table to talk about that sometime. So uh, for, for real, we'll, we'll set that up uh, afterwards because um, that sounds really, really cool. Well, I want to uh, thank all of my panelists today, Rudy, Allison, Patrick, Topher, Dave, Liz, and Rich, and my guests, Greg and Stone. All right, everyone. You can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. I'm talking full adventures, monsters, magic items, backgrounds, all kinds of goodies that you should check out. And it's all free. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. And thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable. <laughs>